It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for starting off your week with us. I'm Ryan Kalei Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we're catching up with uh, Honolulu Police and getting an update on all that's happening there. There is always a lot to talk about with the chief. We're heading over right to HPD headquarters this morning and we're joined by HPD Chief Joe Logan. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Aloha, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. We have so much to catch up on, but I want to start with what is uh, breaking news overnight this of uh, someone being arrested, we understand, in an incident outside of Mililani High School. Can you tell us uh, what you know about the case and, and what we know about the suspect so far? So it's, what I know for, for right now is the fact that uh, there was a fire call. Um, HFD responded to Mililani High School on a vehicle fire. Uh, as they put out the fire, there was a deceased body within that contents of the vehicle. Uh, some witnesses uh, identified somebody within the area that uh, they saw in and around that vehicle prior to that, uh, and that person's been arrested. Uh, and so that's where we're at right now. The investigation is still ongoing. Our investigators are up there now on the scene working through uh, all the facts and circumstances uh, to bring some more uh, information to our leadership here at HPD on what is exactly going on. You know, one, uh, another thing that we've talked about multiple times on this show, and we'll get to a variety of topics, but I want to just start off with just the overall <laughs> staffing. We know that there have been some calls for some schedule changes to accommodate some of the um, personnel issues that have plagued the department with just overall staffing levels. Uh, if we can start off talking a little bit about recruitment and uh, how things are being managed with current officers that are on duty uh, and just being able to manage uh, the workload, the duties of those officers and what's being done uh, on the recruitment side to add more to the department. So several things are going on. And for recruiting, we still uh, are, are in the process of expanding the recruiting um, department from um, five officers to 10 uh, with uh, sergeants for supervisors. So we're gonna increase that capacity to be able to get out into our schools, get out into the communities to recruit uh, from within the city and county of Honolulu. Uh, we're also looking at starting the cadet program, uh, which will probably happen later this year uh, as we work fine tune some uh, human resources issues. Uh, but I think by and large, we're ready to go. Uh, we're also working with uh, the Department of Education uh, and certain uh, of high schools that have uh, law enforcement um, or pre-law, some type of track that the students get involved in. Um, and so I understand there's three or four high schools, uh, Kapolei, uh, Waipahu, and um, 
Bililani that have like a criminal justice back uh, track that their students get involved in. And so how do we get interested students uh, in that communities to join Honolulu Police Department as a cadet between 18 and 20 years old uh, or 21 when they can enter the school. So those are some of the things we're working also with our local universities on criminal justice, political science majors that might want to come into law enforcement as they graduate with their degrees. Uh, but we're also looking at the sciences too. So biology, chemistry, so those individuals that may want to work in, in forensics uh, in our civilian um, scientific investigation section. So we're kind of connecting with the communities in all different areas uh, uh, with academia, trying to figure out um, and entice individuals coming to Honolulu Police Department. We're still uh, up around 360, 370 vacancies. Uh, that varies depending on how and when individuals finish the training cycles of a year-long training um, program and then enter the watches. My priority still is patrol, so I push uh, the individuals that are coming out of the training um, uh, institution or program that we have at that year end, uh, and they go out to assignments uh, into the watches, I'm sending them to the patrol districts. Uh, as you know, we have eight patrol districts. So that's kind of where the focus is. Um, and then on top of that, what we're doing is uh, we've done two um, pilot programs, District 4, which is on the Windward side, and District 5 in the Kalihi area is on a 312 schedule. And so that schedule is three days a week, 12 hours a day, and then four days off for the officers uh, and the supervisors of that watch. And so that um, we're in con consultation with the union uh, on the future of that program as we make it island-wide for all eight districts for patrol. And so we're more conversations with the union. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a meeting, I believe, tomorrow to talk about the 312 and then how we would institute that uh, later in this summer uh, as we get ready for one kids in and out of school. So how do we get the parents or officers that are parents prepared for what's coming in this 312? Um, and then there's variations within that. You can work three days on, four days off, or you can work every other day. Uh, just depends on how um, you see it as you lead your district, how we would like to break that up. Um, so those are the things we're working towards recruiting. Um, and we still recruiting about 100 and 104 officers a year, putting them into the training pipeline. Um, and but we're losing, you know, about 60 or 80 officers also in retirement and for other reasons. So right now it's almost a zero sum game. We're not increasing. We're not decreasing. We're still holding our own. But unfortunately, like many of the police departments last week, I was on the mainland uh, with the uh, a course with the FBI on senior leadership uh, and met with many chiefs uh, and deputy chiefs from around the nation and international. And um, while some countries don't have the recruiting issues that we have, uh, as far as the city and county, we're very similar to every other major city within the nation uh, that are short officers. I want to ask you about some high profile pedestrian incidents we've had. Uh, of course, there was the death of Sarah Yara, the 16 year old um, high school student on her way to McKinley High School. Uh, you know, and then not too long after, we also saw an HPD officer get hit on the freeway, I believe, uh, working with the traffic incident there. Can you tell us about, you know, pedestrian safety, what we're seeing on the roads, and how we're stacking up to years past? So, you know, it's interesting that this individual that uh, unfortunately that uh, is allegedly um, involved in the motor vehicle collision with Sarah Yara uh, and causing her death. Um, what I 
you know, it, it's amazing to look at what, you know, the track record of this individual, how many citations they've had and the number of driving without license citations they had. Um, and, you know, we have a program uh, within the laws that habitual DUI or OVUI IRS turns into a felony. Uh, that's probably something, not this legislative session, but something in the future that I think we in HPD would try to push is how do we get some kind of a habitual um, traffic infraction program where that of an individual that obviously doesn't um, doesn't care or is not concerned about driving without a license, uh, that seems to be a significant issue. Um, then I think, why don't we turn, uh, find a program to turn those into felonies uh, for individuals that just totally disregard the rules. So that's one way to look at it. The other one is, you know, the move over law is there uh, because unfortunately, you know, we've lost two officers over the last decade plus uh, because of, you know, being on outside of their vehicle on the side of the road, been hit by vehicles that are passing by. Um, and you need to, you know, in all cases, we'd ask you to move one lane over, if not two lanes over. But if you can't, the slow down. And so, um, and don't fixate your eyes on what the officer is doing. Fixate your eyes on a traffic ahead of you so that you're not drawn towards um, the blue and white vehicle or the lights or, or the officer standing there, but you're focusing on driving. Um, if, if you just look at traffic accidents, we've had, um, you know, 13 fatalities in 2023. Um, it's gone, you know, it, it looks like a, we had a lull during the um, um, COVID and less people on the road, less people going to work. But it seems like we're rising up in statistics now where we've had, you know, more accidents um, than we've had two or three years ago. Uh, overall at 25, over 25,000 accidents just in 2022. So the statistically things are moving in the wrong direction. Um, and so I would just ask people that are out there on the roadway, share, drive with Aloha. And that means everyone, not just every individual driving with Aloha. And because you don't feel you have to drive with Aloha, you can be the one person on the highway that's not driving with Aloha. Uh, I would ask that everyone drive that way and just, you know, treat everybody on the highway with a little dignity and respect is what I ask our officers to do every day that they're at work. Uh, we as human beings should behave that way. And so we drive with Aloha and everybody gets to where they need to be, pedestrians, bicyclists, moped riders, and uh, motor vehicle operators. I want to talk about some key areas uh, that have had, of course, um, uh, some high profile incidents that have happened. Uh, start off with Waikiki. We know that the Safe and Sound program has been launched to uh, really in partnership with the city and county and the prosecutor's office to create a safer Waikiki for both residents and for visitors. But uh, you know, in the few months past, there have been a barricade situations. There have been some other crimes that have been committed in the area. How do you feel about the safety of the area of Waikiki as a whole and the effectiveness of the Safe and Sound program thus far? So I, I think the Safe and Sound program is working. There's geographic restrictions that are being implemented and enforced. And so I think there's, uh, you know, we're out there working diligently. Have we increased the number of officers that are in Waikiki to uh, help with the safety of everyone that's there? Uh, not particularly. We've added, uh, we have always had fourth watch, which is a training watch, which is the last cycle of that training program or, or pipeline that I was talking about. It takes a year long once you get into the recruit school to the end. And so, you know, they're there, they're in Chinatown. Uh, we're also looking at District 8. Uh, for, for foot patrol officers to be out there and working. And so, you know, 
those things are there. And, and really, I'm concerned about all eight districts, the city and county of Honolulu, not just focused on Waikiki and or Chinatown, but really how is all of our city and county residents and visitors alike, uh, how are they protected uh, within the elements of where they are? And so that's really my focus. Um, and then uh, while we have particular programs designed for Waikiki and Chinatown, um, but I think the Safe and Sound program is working. Uh, it's it's a slow rolling event that's um, picking up steam, and I think it has impacts. You know, there's one-off crimes like a barricade, like a, a shooting on a sidewalk that happened many months ago. But those are things that uh, don't happen every day in Waikiki. Uh, they're very rare, as a matter of fact. And so Waikiki still remains, I think, one of the safest cities in, in the U.S. Um, and so, uh, you know, tourism and everything continues to come here. And Waikiki continues to be a, a safe place for people to come and visit. What is your general sense of whether things are getting better or worse when it comes to crime? I know you when you when you talk about safety on the roads, it seems like that is a trend that is not going in the right direction. But what about you know burglaries and robberies and assaults and things like that? The the more violent crimes that uh, we feel in our community that put people at you know that make people very uneasy. How are we doing there? Well, if you compare statistics to say last year to this year, um, based on the same time frame, everything is down. I mean, we're down um, in one category like catalytic converters, we're down 90% um, as compared to maybe something like uh, burglaries, we're down 30%. Um, but those are statistics that may change, right? As we get closer in, or further into this year, uh, we're still into March. And so in the early phases, we're uh, crime is much less than it was this time last year. Um, so that's a good sign to say that the crime is not on the rise. Um, however, let's take a look uh, after summer, um, early fall and see where we are at that point in time. But right now I can tell you that yeah, in all the categories that we follow, crime is down in, in, in the city and county of Honolulu. We wanted to get an update also on what's happening with the concealed carry permit. Uh, if you can give us any numbers as to how many individuals have applied, how many have been granted thus far, and, and if anyone, any of your officers have encountered any instances with um, those who have a, a concealed carry or, or a weapon on them. Sure, absolutely. So we've had uh, a little over 800 applications, and of that um, 570 plus are the actual applicants. And the reason the number is different is because people have multiple firearms, right? So it might be the same person who wants to apply for multiple licenses. <clears throat> and then we've granted 38 um, or approved 38 licenses for individuals. So right now, uh, outside of law enforcement, excuse me, <coughs> there's um, there's 38 individuals that have a license to carry a firearm. Um, but going back to your question, it's my understanding that none of our patrol officers or members of Honolulu Police Department have been called to or interacted with an individual that's uh, been licensed to carry it to date. What is your feeling about the, you know, the way that this program is being implemented? I know that um, the city council is looking to put restrictions on sensitive places. The state legislature uh, is looking both in the House and Senate to institute measures that would apply statewide. Do you think that this should be done county by county? Would you prefer a statewide um, you know, system and, and, and how do you feel about the restriction, you know, the, putting restrictions in sensitive places and, and what that, the burden that places on your officers then to enforce it? 
So it's, yeah, I've, I've testified to some extent at uh, sensitive places, uh, the bill 57 that's uh, in the city council and the state legislature has several bills regarding sensitive places and, and relooking at the firearms laws of chapter 134 and, and how that impacts. I agree um, that with, you know, talking with the other police chiefs and the other counties is, you know, the, uh, I, I think it should be consistent across the state, uh, not individual counties having differences, because uh, that just leads to confusion as far as individuals trying to get their license to carry uh, and other permits. Sorry, I just returned from the mainland, so my voice is a little. Um, <clears throat> and so how do we um, how, enforcement is the big issue for us as police chiefs and departments. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so how do we how do we enforce a rule that maybe uh, we're trying to reduce confusion? I think that's the way I've testified in the future as this bill continues to go forward. Um, I want it as as simple as possible for officers. If if a business, a community, uh, uh, I think everybody understands that you know hospital, schools, uh, government, institutional buildings, you know courthouses, um, jails, and things like that are all uh, hospitals are all natural places that we should not allow concealed carry. However, when you're talking about businesses and other uh, venues, then then those really should be. If you don't want guns in your area, then put up a sign. If you do allow guns in your area, then put up a sign. That way the officer that comes to the scene gets called to an incident, whether that's a restaurant or a business, and then he could clearly see the sign that says yes or no, and if the individual's in violation, then citation or arrest are, are fairly easy at that point in time to make. You can, you can discern that. If we start saying, well, everything's off limits except if this person wants it or doesn't want it, then we get into, well, now I got to call a landowner, I got to call a property manager, I got to, and so we're, we're looking at uh, convolution and, and, and concerns where the officer is trying to figure out, okay, who has authority to do? So it's very simple across the board. Let's just keep it as simple as possible. And are but I do support sensitive places, yes. Are, are these types of conversations about what's happening here with this, um, you know, is that being had by, with you and the other departments and the other chiefs uh, on the other islands, um, maybe suggesting best practices, what you're doing here, what they're doing? Uh, how is that communication or is there any sort of, um, you know, collaboration that's happening within the departments? Yeah, the, the four police chiefs meet, um, not on a regular basis, but uh, we go to meetings together. We try all to get together, spend an hour uh, and then discuss hot topics that are going on, or we can reach out uh, during the week uh, by telephone and talk to each other and find out where each officer is or we where each department is uh, in relation to the legislation that might be in their area. Uh, and I think we're all we kind of agree to the same uh, with the uh, sensitive places and where that's going. And and so going back to Originally, what I said is I think it should be across the board, across the state. So whatever this state sensitive places bill looks like, uh, as far as the state legislature is concerned, um, <clears throat> you know, that's the one that would set really the parameters across this, the state. And so all four counties would be aligned with that. That's a much simpler um, and less convoluted uh, form of enforcement for us. I'm interested to go back to the numbers that you shared with us, uh, eight, around 800 applications, over 500 individuals looking to be able to carry a firearm on their person at any time. Um, 
How many of those do you expect to go through? Do you expect the majority of those to be granted? I know you said that around three dozen or so have been granted so far, but you know I've taken a look at the application online just out of curiosity. And uh, you know, what are some of the disqualifiers for that? When I when I saw you know the application itself, you're sort of self-reporting. Let's talk about mental health, for instance. You self-report whether or not you've had. Um, you know, a mental health issue that is under the penalty of perjury, but there is somewhat of an honor system there. Are you, you know, are you confident that that's enough of a safeguard on the mental health aspect? And and going back to the original question, how many of those, you know, 500 or so individuals do you expect to be granted these permits? Uh, I would imagine we'll we'll probably uh, honor or uh, approve most of those. And and the reason I say that is, yes, there is an honor code in in that we're asking for your mental. Uh, health assessment and and who your doctors might be and gives us uh, authority to go ask them. And so we send the, them a letter uh, in the mail asking for any issues or concerns uh, that you may have. Does this person meet the requirement to carry a firearm? And so that's out there. Uh, we do an extensive background check on individuals that are also, you know, they again, honoring, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever been involved with, uh, you know, violence selling drugs or using drugs? Have you been around uh, uh, other types of violent crimes that may have happened, abuse of maybe a family member? Um, and they could say one thing, but we're gonna do a background check to, to, to validate that. And if we find it in their background, then we're not gonna issue a firearm to them. And so, uh, yeah, I think we do an extensive job in and, and, and talking with the, the pro-gun individuals that are out there. Um, I get the sense that most of them, you know, they don't, they just want to carry, uh, uh, legally be able to carry a firearm for their own protection, but they're not out there to be policemen or, or act in a manner that's, you know, uh, protector of all. And so they just, they want to, they want this feeling of protection. And so they're really law abiding citizens. Um, and the ones we've seen, the 38 uh, are, you know, meet all the requirements. And so I would have best that we're going to get through probably most of these 571 individuals. I want to switch topics here to something else we've discussed on the show and get an update. And that is the updates to the uniform. Uh, we have spoken to Shopo officials on here who say that uh, officers, you know, who are patrolling the streets have been asking for this for some time now. You've also spoken out and said that this is something that you were going to look into. What updates can you give us on any uh, updates to the uniform as a whole and how things are going with this research uh, port portion of this uh, maybe up upgrade? So I, I think uh, the requirement or the request to look at different uniforms, uh, class, this uniform I'm wearing right now is our class A uniform, whether it's long sleeve or short sleeve. This is more of a ceremonial dress uniform, uh, but we require that something I wore 40 years ago when I came in the police department. Um, and so it's very similar. It, it has really, it hasn't changed much at all. Maybe the material a little bit, but a dark blue uniform in, in the sun of Honolulu is a very uh, warm uniform that uh, probably creates <laughs> additional stress on your body, uh, being that it, it, it absorbs heat. So how do we help our officers with a, a maybe a lighter weight, uh, lighter material uniform, same color, um, but they wear as a class B uniform. So on everyday average uh, patrolling or, or traffic investigation, solo bike, you know, those that wear uniform every day, um, it's more usable, more wearable and uh, be beneficial for your health.
uh, in the long run. And so they've gone through some testing of one uh, set of uniforms. We're right now in the testing phase of the second set of that uniform, my, my understanding. And then based off of that, the officers that were inside this testing um, program will write an assessment of which uniform is better, and then we'll move forward from there. I want to go back just one more time quickly to the sensitive places, um, because I'm interested to know on how you're going to actually enforce that. We know Hawaii Island has one in place and they're they're sort of, you know, figuring out how to do that. Um, but if you get called, you know, one, you know, one of the things would be one of the requirements would be you couldn't have it in an establishment that serves alcohol, let's say. Um, you get called to a restaurant. I mean, how, how does this actually work? Would you ask to see a person's um, license? How do we, I, I, I'm just interested in the mechanics on the ground. You know, you said you want to make it simple. Should there just be a blanket ban? No places that serve alcohol. Could certain restaurants allow it or certain shops allow it? it what about a shopping center where one store lets it, uh, allows it and, and, you know, another doesn't? How are your officers going to navigate that? So uh, that's why we keep, that's my whole point of enforcement and keeping it simple. Um, so either you can or can't. Uh, once you're at the scene, I, I think the way the current law in sensitive places uh, on the legislate, the state legislature versions and the city council versions say that if you serve alcohol, there is no carry in those establishments, um, whether you're a restaurant or not. Uh, I think that's a decision of a restaurant. You could still go to a restaurant, eat, and not drink alcohol. Um, but you can't go to a bar and do that, right? I mean, you can still eat, but you're there for a specific purpose. Uh, eating is secondary to going to a bar and, and having uh, a drink or two. And so there's already provisions that, you you know, you don't drink and, uh, and carry a, a firearm. Using a firearm under the intoxicant is, <clears throat> you know, it's something that's, uh, it, it's not condoned at this point in time. And so uh, that's going to be something interesting and in, in how this proceeds, but we'll see how that goes. But as far as our officers are involved in confrontations with individuals, if somebody sees a firearm, a person carrying a firearm, uh, while it should be concealed, there may be reasons where, uh, you know, accidents happen, a shirt maybe exposes the firearm that's on their waist, um, and then they call 911. Our officers would respond. Uh, they would hopefully talk to the individual that called the law enforcement and they would identify the individual. They don't have to stand in the middle of a restaurant and point to somebody, but they would, you know, talk to the officer and, and advise who it was. And then at that point in time, we'd approach the individual and, and just have a conversation as to why we were there, why we were talking to them, not in front of everybody, but probably off to the side. And then our officers would, you know, move cautiously through that without violating the person's constitutional rights or, or yeah, and civil rights. And so uh, it's going to be interesting. We're working on videos from our training department that should be out soon on how officers are going to approach these different scenarios that our training division is coming up with. I think there's three total scenarios on how officers engage with individuals that have a license to carry. Well, we are almost out of time, but before we go, I just wanted to get an overall update from you on just how things are going within the department. I know one of the areas that we had spoken about in the past that you had you know, really committed to, which is helping to build the overall morale uh, of yep. the officers, given what's happened with leadership in, in the position that you're in in the past uh, and some of these other instances that have happened within the department. How would you assess things are going overall right now as you uh, continue on in this first few months of, of your time there? And, and, and 
uh, how do you how are you helping to increase that morale that you were uh, made a commitment when taking this job? Well, I've been in the job nine months and three days and 22 hours, but I'm not counting that far <laughs> into the just kidding. Uh, but I've been in nine months. And and so the morale is is to me, it's uh, I see morale is on the move upwards. Uh, a lot of officers come and talk to me and, and say they're very, you know, um, they, they're they very enjoyable about what the department is moving towards. Um, they look at the strategic plan and the, and the vision and mission that we have and how is that moving the department forward. Um, and, and they're looking at leadership in the department overall is changing. And, and they see that when I go out to the watches and talk to the officers that are there, to the divisions, um, and our, our civilian organizations that are connected to the department. Um, and so they're very interested in the department moving forward and away from uh, kind of a, a tainted past, but uh, uh, we still you know, have elements of that we have to deal with, but by and large, the department is moving you know, graciously forward. Um, it's, it's a battleship in the middle of the ocean um, and it just doesn't turn on a dime. So it's gonna take me a little while to, to, to uh, get the, the ship heading what I consider, you know, your moral compass within yourself, true north. You know, we're a little off center, but we're getting there. Um, and I think that's what the department looked for in somebody coming in to lead the department forward. I think now that I've established nine months in this uh, organization um, and then, you know, my whole thing about the police department is how do I get every officer uh, to reach the highest rank they want to be uh, to make sure that they there and their families are taken care of that we in the department, you know, mentally, physically, and spiritually keep you healthy um, and that you get to retirement and then enjoy those retirement years. And so that's really what I see my job is throughout the department and then making changes within the department to help help that. But it's really removing obstacles so that, you know, any officer, male, female, uh, no matter what ethnicity you are, even our civilian, pop, uh, civilian employees, how do we get everyone moving in the direction you want to be? And so that's my goal. And that's what I've been espousing since I've started. And, and to me, the department's wonderful. The officers out there every day uh, and our civilians are working very diligently, very hard at keeping uh, the city and county of Honolulu safe. Well, one of the things you also vowed was transparency and you've been generous with your time with us this morning. We thank you for coming on and answering all of our questions. We always enjoy our time with you. Uh, we hope to see you back again soon. Aloha, thank you very much, I appreciate it, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We covered a lot of ground as we always do with the chief, uh, starting off with the uh, suspect arrested in Mililani this morning, a lot to uncover with that case. The officers are on the scene, scene he said, as we speak, um, trying to figure out what exactly happened. They were called out there for a car fire. There ended up being a body found in that car. And a short time later, the chief said that a suspect was arrested. So uh, stay with the Honolulu Star Advertiser because we know there will be a lot more to come on that case. But going out to the wider issues that we've talked about, Ryan, in the past, uh, recruitment, you know, they're working very hard. They're making a lot of efforts, especially to reach young people going as far as going into the high schools and some of the uh, academies that do more job training. Um, you know, Waipahu High School is always cited as one uh, that really has mastered that and trying to, you know, draw, draw there. But then those are those efforts are, you know, hampered by the fact that they are still losing officers to retirement or just leaving the job. And so he said they still do have over 300 vacancies at this time. Yeah, and continuing to do all that they can to fill those gaps and, and to make sure that there are uh, adequate officers coming through the pipeline and through the training. And so those numbers will continue to fluctuate, he says, over time based on 
uh, how much are in that recruitment class, and of course, how much are stepping down from the department for whatever reason. Uh, we also heard from him, you know, just kind of a broad update at, at the end there. You heard about the morale. Uh, he seems to think that uh, – this is something that he has been committed to and something that has improved over time, citing officers that have come up to sp uh, speak to him about the changes that are being made. Uh, he, he likened it to a battleship in the middle of the ocean that doesn't turn on a dime that's going to take some time. And nine months now into the job, the chief is trying his best to ensure uh, that officers are getting their needs met, which include, as we heard, the update with the uniforms and some changes there. Uh, but also scheduling and trying to find ways to accommodate some of the requests that have been made uh, to properly staff, of course, the different precincts and districts, but also to make sure that it is a schedule that works with the officers. So a lot that he says is happening behind the scenes uh, on the internal side to ensure that people want to be a part of the department and eventually want to be uh, enter the force through this recruitment efforts. Yeah, and one of those things those officers will be facing now is the new reality of guns uh, in our community. Uh, citizens being able to legally carry firearms concealed with the proper permits. Uh, close to 40 folks have been granted those permits so far, uh, and over 800 permit applications in the pipeline right now going to uh, just over 500 individuals. You know, the difference there is because some folks have applied for more than one permit because you need a permit for each firearm that you want to concealed carry. Um, and it is a challenging time on that front because this is new ground for HPD um, and they've got to figure out how they properly approach someone who may have a weapon on them legally, how they, may, you know, how they ask those questions. He said they've got training videos and protocols in place and that they are rolling those out. Uh, something that we know that the city council and the state legislature is working on to try to restrict where folks can carry a firearm. But we see it already in our community that folks are able to legally carry this thanks to uh, legally carry that is uh, thanks to a Supreme Court decision that was made last summer. Always interesting to talk to him, Ryan. And then, of course, he also updated us on the traffic situation, saying that there are way too many fatalities and way too many accidents. Of course, a very high profile one happening in February with the death of 16 year old Sarah Yara. Yeah, and he's saying that they're uh, looking into legislation that likely won't happen this legislative session, but uh, something that will be uh, something that we'll look into into the next legislative session that would move uh, some of those repeat offenders uh, like the, the one that was involved in that particular case uh, into a more felony charge uh, so that the those who are driving without a license or have uh, the number of instances or arrests because of any sort of traffic violation uh, serve a longer sentence, if you want, considered under the felony branch of the government. So uh, a lot of topics we discuss. If you miss any portion, please feel free to go back and watch this. Uh, we also broadcast this on Channel 50 later in the day, as well as on podcasts, wherever you consume those as well. Uh, looking forward to another great show on Wednesday as well. That's right. Kaylee Lopez from AARP is going to be joining us. They've done a report and looked at the threat of housing uh, for seniors. And there are a number of really big concerns when they, they are predicting a wave of uh, evictions that could be happening to Kapuna in our community. And they are very concerned that there could be hundreds, if not thousands of uh, elderly that could end up homeless. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that and other issues facing seniors in our community. We hope you join us right back here on Wednesday at 1030. Aloha. Take care. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.